listener. KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast. The Yulikit Woolen Clan of the Boonwurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to our elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your DM on the stuff that matters, but also the stuff that doesn't. One, two, three, four. Before we get into today's episode, a trigger warning. This episode discusses suicide. So if this is triggering for you, we advise perhaps skipping today's episode. You can seek help at beyondblue.org.au or by calling Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hello. Hi, Lucy. Hello. Today is a very special episode. Mm. July is Disability Pride Month. And today we have got on Lauren McDonoghue, who, if you're a part of our KIT community mm. and you're in our Facebook community, you would likely know Lauren. Lauren is incredible. She's mm. a part of Kik and that's how we've got to connect with her, which is so special. Mm. And I am just so excited to have her in the studio today mm. and chat to her and hear her story. So Lauren is an amputee. She lost the lower half of both her legs in a tragic incident in 2017, so about six years ago, where she tried to take her own life. She's now a mental health advocate and an ambassador for Beyond Blue and Lip Timber, a writer and a model. And on today's episode, you will hear her story and find out how she turned her life around to where she is today in a completely different place to where she was in 2017. Lauren. Hey. Can't tell you how excited we have been so to have you in. <laughs> thank and you so much. I want to start off by saying thank you so much for being such a dedicated and supportive KIC member in our community. Oh, thank you. It's really nice to have you here. And I think it's making me want to get more community members in the podcast because yeah. <laughs> it's always so lovely meeting you. And um, this month is Disability Pride Month. So just to start off, yeah. for those who might not know you, can you start by telling us what exactly your disability is and what Disability Pride Month means to you? So my name is Laurie McDonough. I am a bilateral belethany amputee, which basically means I have lost both of my lower legs. But for me also um, with my mental health conditions, I also kind of identify that as a form of disability for myself anyway. So for me, my depression, um, post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety kind of make up a part of that also. And for me, Disability Pride Month kind of means being so proud of like the skin I mean and who I am, like knowing that I am more than enough Mm -hmm. and that I don't need to change myself for anyone even though there are so many judgments and prejudices for people with disabilities mm-hmm. and just knowing that, yeah, I might be limited in what I can do because of my disability, but the opportunities I have are also limitless. And just also in another way, just coming together and rising above all the negativity that are put on people with disabilities and trying to make the world a better, safer and more accessible place for everyone. Oh, I love that. And I love what you said about limiting and limitless. I think mm. that is such an amazing and it just mindset is just so important. And, and to yeah. have that mindset 
is just so incredible. So thank you for sharing that. Well, um, if you're comfortable, we would love for you to tell your story um, on the podcast. Um, yeah. I think it will be extremely impactful for, for so many people listening. Yeah, no worries. So a little bit of background. I have had depression, post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety since I was around 12 years old. Mm. And for me, it was so severe in the way that I spent a lot of my teenage years being constantly hospitalised for all of them. Um, I had constant attempts in my life. I couldn't get out of bed for months on end. And in a way, um, while everyone else was growing up around me and I was growing up also, I felt like I wasn't growing because mm. I was constantly having to fight for my life. And I... I'm probably like not even exaggerating here. I can't even count the amount of times I ended up being in a psych ward as a teenager mm. um, because of my depression. So, yeah, it wasn't the greatest experience. And can, I, can I ask, Lauren, before you go into the next part yeah. of your story, when you mentioned that you kind of knew you had these these conditions when you were 12, yeah. how did you... Because I think especially when it comes to anxiety and, and, and depression, sometimes a lot of people go undiagnosed for a very, very long oh, time. Definitely. So how did you know that you, you were diagnosed with that? Um, so mental health conditions are hereditary in my family, lots of depression, bipolar disorder, all of that kind of stuff. I also got severely, severely bullied in primary school and then so continued in high school and Basically, I knew I had those conditions when I saw my GP and then she referred me to a psychologist and they're like, yep, you definitely have it. And I just started feeling really like low and lost a lot of motivation and feeling completely hopeless and useless. And with anxiety attacks, I would pass out and vomit everywhere. And um, yeah, I just kind of knew that that was kind of what was going on for me and the diagnosis just cleared mm. it up. I can't, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine how sorry. hard that would have been as a 12 year old going into, mm. that's, that's high school, going to high school, isn't it? With, with that weight on, on your shoulders. So I, I apologize. I interrupted you before. So if you go back to, so you were, you spent a lot of time in the psych ward yeah. during your teenage years. Yeah. I also had an eating disorder at the time. So I was, constantly um on lots of different meal plans for that having to gain weight tube feedings etc etc and I hit around the age of 18 and things were relatively stable and it was pretty smooth sailing for a while and then out of nowhere the depressive symptoms came back and they were absolutely horrid worse than they had ever been like combined mm. and I became the most unwell and most suicidal I had ever been in my life um I remember at the time this was all happening I was misdiagnosed with a disorder called borderline personality disorder and it's a highly highly stigmatized disorder as it is within mm. the mental health community and especially within the world of psychiatry there's this whole misconception of how people with borderline personality disorder actually like and often they're seen as manipulative and attention seeking and oh. all of that kind of stuff. So when I became extremely unwell and the most suicidal I'd ever been in my life and I spoke up about these thoughts, um, the psychiatrist treating me at the time 
who thought I had borderline personality disorder looked at me and said, you're not suicidal. You're just being like true BPD, like you're just being manipulative. You're being attention seeking. And then by that stage, I had hit absolutely rock bottom. And looking back at it now, it was probably the last little bit of hope I had left within myself. And then that night, um, after seeing her, I attempted to take my life. I lost my left leg initially, my right foot. I still had my right leg. I then lost my right leg to a staph infection about a month later. I had over 30 surgeries. I fractured half mm. my spine and I also went into septic shock. So all my organs started shutting down on me. And initially after all of this happening, I was also in an induced coma for a week. So um, it was definitely a difficult time, but. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. So this is when you were 18 and how, when, when you woke up in, in the yeah. hospital, how did that, only if you're comfortable talking to that, how did that feel? And then how were you able to get you to, from you know, where you are yeah. now? As this incredible advocate for mental health and obviously mental health is something that is not, it's not cured per se. It's like, you know, it's something that we have to continue to deal with and, and work through. But looking at you now and how much of the amazing advocacy work that you do, how did you go from waking up in the hospital, working through, I, I can't imagine how hard it would have been firstly to stay in hospital for that long, not being able to move for such a long time and then having to go through all of the rehab and yeah. build back and face more adversity than before and to get to where you are now? I'd probably say that I'm a very stubborn person. I think throughout the process, there were so many times where I was just so fed up by what I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And I was also fed up by the things people tell me I couldn't do and I would never do again. So for example, I initially was told I would never walk again due to the amount of damage I did and the amount of skin graftings and everything I had to have. And I remember thinking, I'm going to effing prove you all wrong. <laughs> and I guess it took every little bit within me to want to prove people wrong because of the frustration and the just the anger um, I had inside of me. And I kind of just turned it around to more towards my advantage. And, um, yeah, I just became more and more determined to prove people wrong and every little thing I they said I couldn't do I just wanted to show them <laughs> that's amazing yeah it's it, it is super incredible and in, totally inspiring and I I wonder how are you now how are you like mentally how are you going mentally now I'm probably the best I've ever been in years and years and years um in saying that I still do have my days and my times where my mental health is mm -hmm. still a bit blah um and there are definitely days where I don't get out of bed and all of that kind of stuff. But I think after kind of so many years of suffering, I found a, well, for me personally, found a treatment plan that worked for me mm -hmm. and a little niche that kind of, yeah, works also. So I know what to do if I'm feeling a certain way or I have a treating team now that works together um, very well and we all sort of come together, make a plan and for me now, early intervention is key. So mm. instead of waiting until things turn to absolute crap, just um, trying to get onto it straight away mm. and 
just going from there. I'm so happy to hear it. So you spoke through your, I suppose, motivation to to prove others wrong and prove that you could do it. What was your motivation like behind being an advocate for disability? I grew up around people with disabilities. My grandfather had Parkinson's disease. My nanny, my mum's mum, was fully blind for the whole time I ever knew her. And my grandmother had bipolar disorder for over 70 years. And when you are around people with disabilities, you think you know what a disability is like. And I'll be the first to admit, I thought I knew how a disability was like for people because mm. I grew up around disabilities. But the thing is, as soon as I became disabled myself, I knew that very second, I knew absolutely nothing about disabilities. And until you experience it yourself, um, you don't realise how many barriers there are, how many challenges there are, and just all of the different things people with disabilities have to face on a daily basis. So through the difficulties I had to face myself, it kind of made me want to not only speak up about my journey with my mental health and what happened, but to also try and change the way things are for people with disabilities because the truth is we live in a world where there are so many people with disabilities, but the world isn't made for people with disabilities. Mm. You constantly go places and there's stairs and there's like walkways and you don't realise until you're disabled how just a little step like onto um, concrete or whatever, how much like that makes a difference. And I think, yeah, just seeing it and experience it firsthand just made me want to try and change things. Oh, it's amazing. And the work that you do is so powerful. I, I wanted to ask you as well, when you were building back up, how did you go from, was was it, you spoke before about how you would, the health experts would tell you something that they didn't think you were going to be able to do and you proved them wrong. Was that how you were able to build back up your confidence and your self-worth? Was it that stubbornness that was that thing that helped you build up that, like, I am worthy, like, I'm strong in who I am? What What was that? So it wasn't always that way and I think initially it was absolutely horrible because mm-hmm. I looked down and I looked at my body and I looked at my friends and I looked at my family and I no longer had the body that I that everyone around me had. For me, when I first lost my legs, mm-hmm. I felt so ugly and so disgusting and horrible. I had to actually go into surgeries to get dressing changes because I didn't even want to see my own legs. And I said to myself when I lost my legs, no one's ever going to see me. I'm never going to leave the house. I'm never going to see a friend again or I don't want family members to see me because I had just this horrible view of myself. Mm. But throughout the healing stages and throughout the grief process, I think that it was firstly important for me to grieve what I had lost Mm -hmm. and it was important for me to feel what I was feeling at that moment in order for me to be able to kind of move on and slowly have this deep love and appreciation for my body because at one stage I obviously had this extreme hatred for my body but as I healed and as I rode the waves of the grief process I would then look at my body and look at absolutely every little thing it had been through over the last couple of months or the year or whatever and the amount of times I thought I was genuinely going to die or the amount of times that um, doctors would say to my parents, look, she's you're probably going to have to start preparing like a funeral because she's probably not going to come out of like the septic shock or whatever like that. 
I look back at those moments and I think, well, holy shit, this is amazing. My body is so strong. I tried to ruin it so many times, but no matter what I did to it, it held on for me and it never gave up on me. And when I became better mentally and I was in a better headspace, I was able to see that from that point of view. And that's when I started to have this deep appreciation for my body. Gave it the credit it deserves. So is that a way that you, like, what is your actual practice of of body appreciation? What do you do? I like say, for example, with scars and stretch marks and skin grafting and everything like that, I look at it now and I just think, isn't it amazing what our bodies are able to get through? And isn't it amazing what our, you know, um, our bodies are capable of doing the healing that it does? And just knowing and seeing the stages of what it's gone through, you just... I just can't not be amazed by it yeah. anymore. Oh, absolutely. And has your relationship with exercise changed? I, mean, I assume it has from when you were, you know, 18 and before t- to now. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I was 18, I was a smoker <laughs> and I used to go for runs around the block around a very hilly area with a smoke in my mouth. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even imagine how difficult that would be. Is that hard? That would have been really hard. And I'd have people looking at me, and I used well, to I mean, think, no well, one's what the hell? Yeah, I, I probably would have looked at you. Now understandably so. Oh gosh. How would how would did you have asthma? Or you were fine. I was fine. <laughs> I love it. Oh, very good. Uh, it was yeah strange, but yeah. Um, now I'm starting to get back into exercising properly, like through the kick app or you know, I see an exercise physiologist and mm. I just know that I might not be able to do what I used to be able to do, yeah. but I can do something and adapt um, the routine to my ability. That's amazing. That's amazing because for so many people, I'm sure it's it's such a hurdle to, I suppose, acknowledge and accept that you can no longer do what you may yeah. used to be able to do. And to still give it a go anyway and do what you can is just amazing. And I think that mindset too is so important about not having to do, I think with exercise, and obviously it's something we speak about at Kick a lot, but we often think that we kind of have to overhaul our lives or like every like all those stupid things that we're told through social media, like go hard or go home. And like if you don't sweat, oh it God. doesn't count and all that shit. Yeah. But it's like what I love about the way that you speak about exercise and how it's for your mind and it, it's about doing something for your body yeah. and for yourself. It's not about changing your body. Um, and I think no. it's amazing how you speak to that. Yeah. And we just, I suppose, want to end on just saying like, thank you for being so open with us and for everything that you do is so incredible. But even just seeing your face popping up in the community is is such a special thing. Oh, thank you. Honestly, every time you share, I think someone in our team shares it into our like group team thing, just because your words are so impactful. Thank um, you so much. And it, it truly means the world to have you in our community. And it was just so, so special to see you in person and, and be here with you today. Thank you. I have one more thing, if that's okay. Oh, sure. To finish off, that's <laughs> is what what can people do to help during this during Disability Pride Month in July? What can people do to help support? Um, well, personally, I would say that if you know someone that has a disability, or if you know of people that have disabilities, um, it 
doesn't hurt to actually do some proper research about people's like illnesses or disabilities. Um, you know, having a background knowledge of mm. what you know they have or what they're going through or what disability they have can actually be quite useful and powerful because sometimes if you go up to a person, you start asking all these questions. It's not that like people with disabilities find it rude or anything, but sometimes it can get like a little bit frustrating. I'm sure. And yeah, you don't want to be rude to them either, but having your own background knowledge is great. Um, Also, I have learned instead of just making pre-assumptions about how people feel or how it feels like living with a disability, Mm. sit down with them, have Mm. a conversation with them and ask them, so how is it actually like for you? Mm. You tell me what challenges you and you tell me what you find frustrating or what you find difficult and just get to know the person and how their disability impacts them and how it makes them feel. And also just be like an alley for people with disabilities, stand up for them, stand beside them and speak with them Mm. and support what they have to say. I am a little bit biased, but I think lived experience goes so, so far and it's a completely underrated um, source of education in so many different ways. And I feel like if we start listening to Mm. the people that actually go through things instead of listening to like say medical journals and what it says about the, that disability, mm. um, then together we'll be able to move forward and just make the world more kind of safer, accessible and easier to navigate. I love that. Thank you so Thank much, you. Lauren, for coming in and for sharing your story and being so vulnerable and generous in everything that you shared and for all of the work that you do, you are making such an impact in this world. Thank you so much. If this episode was triggering for you in any way, support is available. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or go on to beyondblue.org.au. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you ever want to get involved with our podcast, maybe we're talking about a segment, you have something relatable you want to chat about, a DNM, questions, um, please send your voice notes or your stories to us at KickPod, where you can DM us directly. Um, and you can also keep up with everything that we're doing on the podcast there as well. You can see the video content that we share and any other questions or updates when we want to get you guys involved. You sure can. And if you want to find out more about Kick, you can learn more at kickapp.com. You can download the app on the Google Play or the Apple Store. We have got a free seven-day trial. And you can find us on Instagram at Smith at laurie.henshaw and on TikTok at Kick. We will chat to you soon. Bye.